Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods, coming to you live from self-quarantine here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm talking to Tracy Pearson over there in California. Tracy, how's, how's, just, how's everything going out there? Self-quarantined here in California. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it's going uh, not great overall, really. Let's be honest. I mean, it's a scary time in our nation's history right now. Yep. Mostly because of just so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, that it has everyone either panicked or panicked justifiably or not panicked enough and not blaming anyone in that spectrum. Everyone reacts in different ways, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wild time. Yeah. I mean, kind of unprecedented in our lifetimes. Yeah. This is the kind of situation where you would, uh, I think the, it would be better to over than underreact. So erring on the side of a little bit, a little bit of over, preparation overreaction is probably the healthiest and smartest bet now panic's never good you don't want to do that um but being prepared you know having some having a little bit of extra food stockpiled all that kind of stuff why not you know if 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 at the end of the day three weeks from now it looks like you were an idiot well great that's great that's great news and self self self-isolation self-quarantine i think is valid. I don't think that's overreaction. And even if it is, uh, I mean, uh, I think you can extrapolate here that there is a decent possibility this could be really <laughs> throughout our society, out throughout American culture, society, and it wouldn't hurt just a couple of weeks to work from home. Maybe avoid going out in a, you know, places that where there are a lot of people. Yeah, but that's just my if you take. can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there. So there you are. Um, so there we are. So yeah. and then what that meant to Bruno, to Bros is that everything was canceled in like twenty four hours. Everything which was really crazy. I actually was you know anticipated smart enough where. I decided not to go to the Pac-12 tournament earlier this week, just thinking, you know, not that I would think I would contract the coronavirus sitting in the stands or any of that, but just the thought of sitting there and thinking about it just didn't make me comfortable at being in a big arena like that. Um, so that's why I did it, just from that standpoint. But I, I think, uh, you know, the Pac-12 a little bit awkward that they played one day of games, right? Way behind the curve on every single yeah. step the Pac-12 was, which honestly, didn't you want that sense of familiarity while you were going through this, that the Pac-12 was just way behind everyone else on everything? Well, there were a few There were a few conferences that, that shut it down after one day, I think. Yeah, so. but all the other conferences went to no fans before the Pac-12. Basically, all of them went to we're canceling our tournaments before the Pac-12. It was really, you know, that sense of familiarity was something I needed yesterday. And could you think of anything kind of worse than walking through a Vegas casino? Just think about <laughs> sanitizing dice all weekend. Like, oh, no, 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 I can't roll yet. Hold on. I need to get some pure roll. Just... Uh, I'd like to, I'd really like to see like a, you know, a live cam of, of Caesar's palace right now. Yeah. See if there's actually, no, I'm sure it's desolate. I mean, I saw some pictures of LA X yesterday that looked like it was just a barren, completely empty. Um, yeah, and this yeah. is the time to go. <laughs> yeah, I know. The if, one if... time when LAX is, there's never people. Yeah, if Ever. you're if you're if you're somebody who's already had it and recovered, I mean, go fly some places. Why not? Um, but otherwise, we're not even sure. We're not even sure you can't just get it back. Doesn't no, they're you... pretty sure you can't. Um, oh, okay. they're pretty sure you can't reinfect. There were some early reports of that, but it was um, probably just bad testing on the initial one, um, and they had it the whole time, and they continued to test positive. But the first test between infections was just wrong. 
Um, okay. But no, they're That's... pretty sure you can't reinfect um, immediately, that you'll develop some sort of antibody for it for at least a temporary period of time. The question is whether it's going to be like when you get chicken pox and you're then immune to it more or less forever, or if it's like a cold and you can get it again the next cycle. Um, but there is some sort of at least temporary immunity to it. Uh-huh. But in terms of UCLA sports, uh, spring practice was canceled. Yep. Uh, and they were doing that uh, in kind of a – so they first claimed they were canceling the first day because of rain. Do we think that was right or wrong? Like do we think that was I the do. correct approach? I know that was right. I know that was canceled because of rain. Do we know that was why they did it though? We know that's what they yeah. said they did it for, but do we know no, that's why? From what I know, I'm pretty confident that's why they did do it. Okay. I think they canceled the next two, uh, Thursday and then Saturday, because uh, I think there was some suspicion around the program that someone would, there was someone self quarantine, quarantining. You know, as every organization here probably has someone connected that is suspicious of themselves of, as having it. So yeah. I think that's what probably happened. And yeah. Um, so that makes us like we would, like we have done when the March spring practice uh, ends, we've always done a review. So we just have one week less of review, but right. um, I just published the thing this morning going over the quarterbacks. Uh, it might be a good place for us to start. We saw Dorian Thompson Robinson. He looked, didn't look physically any real, any much bigger physically, but looked better. I mean, uh, you know, this is his second, his second spring, right? Yes. Um, so longer in the offense, just a lot more confident, knowing where his receivers are, better rhythm, especially like with Kyle Phillips. Uh, as with all spring practices, they never they never really throw down the field much. <laughs> um, but I thought he he looked better, more confident. His arm looked about the same. Uh, the big issue with him, as I wrote today, is. Uh, we know what happened with that Snapchat. He, he wrote F UCLA, but he actually typed it out and that was a reaction, uh, to something that happened to him. Uh, what actually happened to him? We, there's still a question of whether there's going to be some ramification of that. Let's put it that way. So Mm -hmm. I think his participation in, if spring practice does resume March 30th, or any time in April, I think there's a question about whether, at, at what level and how much he'll participate. Um, just, just purely on speculation, you'd have to think that. So there's that. That's the biggest issue with Dorian Thompson-Robinson right now. Uh, the next biggest thing, obviously, was uh, Austin Burton practicing once on Tuesday and then putting his name in... Uh, the transfer portal, uh, which is it's kind of curious timing. I mean, obviously, we've been talking about it for a long time that he would be a candidate to go into the transfer portal, but he has to he has to graduate first, which he will do by the end of the spring. Um, probably just came out, checked it out, <laughs> looked around, saw Dorian Thompson Robinson was was on Spalding Field. Looked over and probably saw Colson Yankoff looks pretty decent, and just said, "You know what? I'm. I think I'm out of here." Right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably a prudent decision for him. I mean, with quarterbacks generally, if you feel like you can play and you're not going to play, you should probably leave. Um, so I think Burton. You know, I think he thinks he can hack it. I think he's probably right. Um, maybe not at the high like super high level, like maybe he goes down to group of five, but I think he could be a starting quarterback at a group of five or even a lower power five. Um, You know, he has, he improved his arm last year. I mean, it's still not a gun by any means, but he's accurate. He can move a little bit. So makes sense to me. Um, And hopefully he finds a good landing spot. 
And then we got our real first look at Colson Yankoff, and it was only three days, and one, and we only had one day in pads, which was Saturday. But, you know, first glance, you see that he's got good size. He's at least 6'3", probably 6'4", good frame, looks like a quarterback. Um, his arm, like I said, uh, uh, is just decent. Uh, it, it's not overpowering. He has enough on it to get the ball where it needs to go, and he showed a good amount of accuracy. Um, I was impressed just, just with his ability to to step in to uh, spring practice, his first spring practice, and and look that confident and commanding of the position. You know, there's a long history, Dave, of you and I going out and watching spring practice and just quarterbacks looking really shaky. Yeah, uh, even experienced quarterback. So that was impressive to me. And then probably the most impressive thing was whenever he tucks and runs, either if a scramble or if it's a zone read, his ability to get up the field fast is like one of those things when you're you know you're just watching practice and everything's uh huh uh huh, and then you go oh wow, that's one of those things where he shows that kind of explosion and burst. So I think the UCLA staff feels you know of course they'd like to have austin burton in more depth but i think because of how colson yankoff has looked in the first week they feel okay about burton grad transferring because they feel they have someone who would be able to step in if dorian thompson robinson gets injured or is unavailable yeah well that's obviously Uh, good news yes uh then on the flip side of that uh Chase Griffin, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to pile on the kid or be too critical. He, but as we've been saying, we needed him to show us that he could play at this level, and we, it just the first week is still pretty much the same. I, he, he looks so small out there. Yeah. I mean, he was standing next to Dimitri Felton, and he looked about the same size to me. Um, you know, about five ten, maybe. Uh, and his arm is just, you know, it's, it's not a powerful arm. So, uh, what was eye opening, which we had heard about before was that Chase Artopis, the walk on had passed him in the depth chart. And that was clearly evident last week, um, in team, in team periods, the first, second and third string quarterbacks get the reps mostly and it was Artopis who was taking the reps of third string and and by the way doing fairly okay for a redshirt freshman walk-on in his first spring he looked he looked decent I, I wrote today that you know there's there's maybe you could say he's reminiscing a little bit of our one of our favorite guys if you remember Mike Faithful. Yeah. Um, kind of that same size, probably about the same arm strength. Doesn't have that kind of experience. You know, Mike was in the program for, what, 24 years? Ever. Yeah, he was there forever. So obviously not that much of a command. But, I mean, he can make throws. He's there. He can, you know. So that was that was a little bit encouraging, too, that. Yeah, I know. I might be getting too excited about we, it. We've we've reached walk, the excitement but... about walk-ons period of the Chip Kelly era. Just there you go. That. So <laughs> that is the quarterbacks. Um, there will there will be Parker McQuarrie will show up and fall. I'm just always skeptical of any true freshman coming in and being able to really make an impact. But but we'll see. Uh, being in Georgia, what was your impression of the reports? Um, I like what I'm hearing about Yankoff. Um, it's just, it's so hard to tell. And I, I think with still some uncertainty around Dorian Thompson Robinson, whether there's going to be, you know, anything else that's a ramification of anything going on with him, I just kind of, you know, don't know. I, I, I'm with Dorian Thompson Robinson, I just don't know. Like, if he's still yet shown the maturity necessary to, like, I don't know, 
be a, a leader for an entire year and do the whole thing. So it'll be interesting to see if Yankov can push him. Um, it doesn't sound like that's happening as of yet, but I'm interested to see if that's something, a storyline that we start to see developing if and when spring ball comes back or fall camp or whatever. Um, just, you know, th- there've just been some complications with Thompson Robinson kind of throughout and his quality of play hasn't been that good. Um, so I know Chip Kelly basically alluded to, well, you know, there's some guys who just, you know, the reality is that they kind of have their jobs more or less. Um, but I wonder if that's actually true here. Um, uh, in my opinion, um, generally all coaches have their favorite guys have, you know, players have favored status where, you know, other guys can, Coaches can make it really hard on some guys, and then they can forgive some guys many things. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson has that with Chip Kelly. Um, yeah, and I don't know I if, think, that's, if that's – I mean, uh, hopefully it is. I just don't know if it's warranted at this juncture. Um, I'm not – I wasn't going either way on the warranted element. I'm just no, saying yeah, I sure. think it's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I agree with you. I'm, I'm saying I just don't know if that's if it's if it's if it's necessarily a good um, belief yet for uh, Chip Kelly. Um, given what we so that's quarterbacks. Before. That's quarterbacks. Um, so let, let's let's instead of going position by position. Um, yes. What are your other like main takeaways from what you've seen offensively so far? Yeah. Uh, well, offensively. Um, yeah. Let's start offense. The big. Okay. Um, that there are still a lot of question marks. Yep. Really? Um, I was, I felt a little bit better about running backs overall. I thought the running back position looked, looked fine. Let's put it that way. I mean, it's a different, there's definitely a, a different running style. There's a lot of small, quick guys. Keegan Jones looked good. Casimir Allen looked pretty explosive and a little bit more polish. I'd say, uh, Martell Irby hasn't practiced with team. Dimitri Felton has gotten all the reps with the ones, but I mean, my takeaway from it generally is that there's there's a decent amount of talent there. It's going to be kind of a different position that it's going to be smaller, quicker guys. They're going to have to do it that way. But I'm still holding to my to my supposition that their UCLA's offense was only good as long as it had joshua kelly and i don't see anyone to carry that load still yet and i I don't know how you do it by committee um so that was running back offensive line uh, that would be my other takeaway is that it's still it's it's still being built um sam marazzo former walk-on is center Duke Clemens really hasn't practiced. Um, uh, But if I had to have one takeaway from that, everyone performed with how I thought they'd perform, except I I was probably more impressed with Alec Anderson, who has moved from tackle to right guard, as in what we've always heard, that you try to get the best five guys in the field, and obviously that's that. He looked good. He he looked very good in one-on-ones. Just... um, very easily able to contain his guy in those one-on-one reps. So maybe slightly encouraging, I'd say. Maybe, possibly. Okay, I like it when you're. I like when your voice goes a slightly higher octave when you're talking about encouragement. That's good. And Antonio Moffi look. I mean, Rob a good natural natural ability at the position. So you know, slightly encouraging. That would be offense defense the main takeaway is whoa we got a whole new scheme (laughs) (laughs) and and i I don't know if you can say it's a whole new scheme and you know it's uh, whatever alignment you want to call it you know they were calling it a what were they calling it a four two five i think Um, that's probably what it's going to end up being yeah well, yeah, but it kind of doesn't function. I, I think they're calling it a four-two-five because that's what Brian Norwood kind of ran at Navy. But I mean, for those who weren't out at spring practice, there are three down linemen. 
then there's still that outside linebacker defensive end hybrid, just like we've seen in the last two years, who mostly just rushes the quarterback. It's Keyshawn Lucy or South, but who can drop into coverage occasionally. Okay, so that's all the same. So is that a four or a three? <laughs> I mean, I think it's a four. It kind of, I mean, it really depends on what kind of gap scheme they're playing, right? Um, right. So it's mostly a semantic difference for anybody who's actually like a fan. Uh, I think for coaches, it probably matters, but for us, whatever, it's however many guys are rushing the passer. And then the linebackers is what really changed. Mostly is you have two dedicated inside linebackers. That was mostly Bo Calvert and the JC transfer, Caleb Johnson. And those guys are within the tackles. Uh, then there's this hybrid position and, you know, whether they did it specifically because it matches up better with spread offenses or they just have a number of guys that fit this kind of position really well from Carl Jones to, uh, God, uh, Shea Pitts, who was that outside linebacker before and he's more of a safety linebacker hybrid, Morel Osling who looks pretty big, 6'1", probably 200 pounds. And, and the grad transfer is coming in, Quantrez Knight, I could see plugging into this position right. also. And that's, that's from if, – if you're an old linebacker, this would just be such a fun position because it's not really a rover. I mean, isn't a rover specifically where you're roving around trying to match up against the offense's best player? That's kind of not what this is. But – this guy's kind of free to do what he kind of really wants to do. I mean, he'll match up with the slot receiver. He moves up to the line and blitzes. He drops into coverage. He he does a lot of stuff. So you need someone who's able to, to cover slot receiver or running back out of the backfield, but is also big enough to uh, be good in, in run support fast enough to range from sideline to sideline. So it's an interesting, fun kind of kind of position. Last year, this was basically a nickel, and they used Jay Shaw, who's 5'10 and 190 pounds. So they've moved to a bigger guy in this position. Right. Uh, what do you think of that? Like, tactically, strategically? Uh, t- tactically and strategically, I like it. Um, I think it sounds better just generally than what they were doing before um from a roster management standpoint i think it like we were talking about the like taking a million linebackers as pretty you know not good when they were still intending to run a three four which has a lot of linebackers on the field um dropping the number of linebackers they're going to have on the field um true linebackers i mean you know because i think you could probably speculate that maybe Jonathan Vaughns and Jake Newman both also end up at that kind of roverish position, um, right. but you're still talking about a lot of it, you're talking about a lot of linebackers now to fill out essentially two and a half spots. Um, well, let me and let me just tell you this too, just to add to that that outside linebacker defensive end spot. Okay, so it was Mitchell Agude, Miles Jackson, uh, Shea Brian Strother. Hayden Harris and John Warren. And wait, uh, Sitaveni Kafusi right. was with that group. You're going right. to throw in Damian Sellers and, and Iolani Ross to that. Right. So you were going to have, what, nine guys at that? I mean, we all kind of thought, are they, are they over-recruiting the linebacker well, spot? The, 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 there's two things going on here. One, um, yes, obviously. And switching to this makes it even more apparent. But also... The realities of football now is you're mostly playing a nickel defense. Load up on defensive right. backs. You don't need to load up on linebackers really ever. Um, but I think that's what they're doing. They're trying to find that safety, your box safety linebacker kind of guy who can do that. And this is their base defense. Yeah, It's out yeah. on the field, and that guy is capable of – I mean, Carl Jones was a safety. Right. Yeah, Morel Osling's a safety. Kenny Churchill's there. He's a safety. I, I mean, their first role is to be able to cover. Yeah, it seems um, like it's the same theory as the running back room, where it's just like, oh, let's just take a bunch of guys and hopefully some 
you know, one or two emerges. And it seems like that's the case with the linebackers, too. Hoping that, you know, of this huge group of people you took, okay, we'll get three guys out of it. And then if the rest transfer, no big deal. I kind of like, like you said at the beginning, though, I, I like the move because what did UCLA do? They started in their base defense, you know, and uh, which was a, a three, four, 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 three, four, uh, whatever it was last year. And then whoever they were matched up against would offense, if it was spread offense or not, they would go to a nickel really fast, yeah. right? Usually on second down. And usually you only saw that base defense for maybe the first defensive series. So now this is the base defense. And, and you know, they can probably pivot from here. They can go with a fifth, a true nickel out of this. But at least the, the scheme is there, I think. And I, I like this kind of position. If, if those guys can cover... Um, it works uh, for me. I, I, I mean, I like the idea of it. Whether it does work, that's a question. Right. Um, but the, my, my biggest question is coming out of this. So they obviously were recruiting, thinking they were going to go to this kind of defensive scheme. And I, I mean, I'm literally looking at the depth chart. There are eight guys who will be at outside linebacker defensive end. Yep. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's that's a lot. And, I mean, I know they probably just sat, I would have to say, they sat around their recruiting table and said, we are so tired of not having anyone who can rush the passer. Let's just go out and get a bunch of guys, throw them out in the field and see who can do it. And if it, if there's, if it shakes out and people leave, people leave. But we need to find someone who can who can pass rush, great, but this might be a little bit too much. A little bit of overkill. Yeah, and I mean, maybe... The thing is, they knew Sellers was a yes way before he officially announced. So it's not as if they like took a bunch of guys early and then, oh, Sellers dropped in their lap. I mean, he's a guy who has that potential. I don't know. I don't know, Tracy. Yeah, it's... Uh... I don't know. I mean, generally, even if you took a couple of those guys out and you plugged them into like what would be the will spot where Caleb Johnson would be or probably Lenny Toilo, even though he's been hurt um, or at the mic. There's still too many guys. <laughs> and what happens when you recruit a lot of guys in one cycle? Some actually leave and then. Because they know they're, they understand they're not going to play because the starter, second string, and maybe even the third string guy is your same class, and you transfer out, and then, as we've seen so many times in one or two years, the position is suddenly thin. Yeah. Yep. It's it all comes down to personnel management. Is being able to consistently bring people in at positions and build depth that way with a class separation rather than oh wow i've just suddenly looked at this and we're low on outside linebackers we better take 24 of them yeah you know doing a little bit of proactive planning ahead um in so many areas is a good thing um instead of just reacting to the moment at hand like i guess a good example was is tight end Right. And when we did interview Chip Kelly in his, was it the first day of spring practice? When, second day of spring ball. And second day, right. And we asked him about tight end, and he just said, you know, there's no way of really anticipating that oh, yeah, you lose some guys. And I would, I, I would argue because I've laid the paper trail. <laughs> I've laid the digital paper paper trail of when did we first start saying that there was a very real chance of Devin Asiasi? Beyond and that, when did we actually when did we actually even say there's a, we're hearing a good chance that Jordan Wilson is going to leave? But here's the thing: um, he's the head coach of the program. Uh, he should have a better understanding 
like uh, he should have a better understanding of his the players on his roster and their th- thought process than our dumbasses. Like we're just, we're, I mean, you know, no offense to us, we're just dumbasses. Like we're, we're just we're just internet slappy. We are dumbasses, and it's fine. Yeah. But uh, we're good when, at being I, dumbasses. I, 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 but... I'm shocked that nobody looks at that and says, "Wow, that is such a stunning self indictment." To you, for you to one of your fundamental jobs is roster management, like just having having the finger on the pulse to know what you need every cycle, right? And to say, oh, there's just no way of anticipating. What a what a way to relinquish one of your main responsibilities. Like you're the head coach of the program. You're in, like a full half your job is figuring out what your roster needs to look like, and you can only do that with good information. And if you don't have good information about your team that you've been in charge of for two and a half years, um, you're doing a bad job. That's you're saying well, I'm doing a bad job at this. That's what you're actually saying when you say there's no way of anticipating no this. Does anyone ever say that about the job they're doing? No, any... but but that's what I'm saying. He is saying yeah. that. That's literally what he's saying right there when he says there's no way of anticipating this. Yes, there is. Lots yes. of coaches yeah, do it around right. the country. You're saying you're doing a bad job. That's what you're saying. You know what? You know what's really one of the my biggest takeaways from this job that I've had, and I think you've agreed with me. And our old friend Greg Hicks, we are always going through this steady realization that just because they're coaches, it it doesn't mean they're really good at it. And they could be very good at actually at actually coaching of instruction and knowing basketball, but a lot of different skill sets. Um, recruiting is a completely different skill set. Evaluating is a different skill subset within recruiting. There were <laughs> my experience in basketball. It was very interesting. There were so many guys, assistant coaches on the West Coast, I respected, and then we'd get out in a gym. We'd be looking at a guy, and their evaluations were. I mean, it wasn't even subjective. They were just bad. Just horrible. Uh, Greg Hicks and I used to sit and go, "What? Who is he looking at?" I mean, that guy's a five eleven stumpy shooting guard. What are you? What are you saying? Um. So, uh, player management is another. That's another completely different skill set. That uh, you know, college coach. It's if you're good at walking out in a field and instructing someone on a. Uh, you know, on a blocking sled, that doesn't mean you're good at this. No, and I, I think it's a wholly different job. Yeah, like, and and it's part of recruiting, and it's part of projecting, which is all kind of recruiting personnel management. And generally, my opinion, from what I've learned, is college coaches don't like doing that. Yeah, they'd rather just be out on a field or drawing X's and O's on a board rather than sitting there and thinking about who they might lose. Um, the, one of the best stories I've had, I don't, I, I've told a lot of Ben Helen stories, but Ben Helen, who I generally was good at evaluation. He was good at personnel management overall. He would not come to terms with the fact that Jordan farmer could go pro. He just, he just wouldn't listen to it. He just wouldn't listen. And, uh, and I, would, I would say, again, this is a coach who knows what he was doing, and he didn't want to believe it. So I think in a lot of ways it's almost just denial yeah. on a coach's Well, this is – I mean, I've often – like when you're thinking about a coaching staff, it, it's very stupid that a coach rises from a position coach to a coordinator and then to a head coach. Because it's three entirely different jobs, like entirely different. And they're not even like you're not using the same things. You're not doing like your your brains have to work differently. Like at the position coach level, you have to be a technician. You have to know, okay, this is where you're going to put your hand. This is how you do this release. This is, you know, this is how you got to swivel your hips. This is the exact moment when you got to do that. Like all that stuff, super technical the coordinators, they're your strategic guys. They're the ones who have to say, okay, looking at the broad picture of our scheme, what can we emphasize this week or that week to you know, take advantage of this thing on the other team? They have to be really good at scouting other teams. They have to be really good at all that kind of stuff. 
Your head coach, though, needs to be your most personable guy. He needs to be your best numbers guy. Um, he needs to be all these other things. He does not need to know how to place a hand on a guy to get the right leverage, you know, like he just doesn't need to. Um, and so for that background to be in his toolbox is unnecessary. People should be hired for head coach who maybe have never done any other coaching. Like it should just be, okay, do you have good leadership skills? Are you personable? And do you have a good head for numbers? Do you have a good idea of like, okay, I can talk to all these guys, figure out exactly what we're going to need in each cycle. Like your head coach should be your primary recruiting coordinator too. Like that should be the head coaching job. And it's just this weird thing we have where it's this insular body where they rise up through the ranks. And it's just I got two things to stupid. say. Not only like what you said is that if you're a position coach, you're you're getting all the technical. Even within being a position coach, there's a lot of little com- compartments. I mean, you have to recruit like what I yeah, was saying. Yeah, no, for sure. And a lot of them don't have the personality to recruit or don't want to do it or don't like talking to spoiled 16-year-olds. Uh, don't like social media. I, I mean, there's so many elements or in evaluating, right? So you're completely right. That's, I was just filling that out. But Dave, what you're describing, um, it, 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 there's one guy in the PAC 12 that really represents what you're saying as a head coach, that he's a figurehead and he does it well. And he plays those roles. Well, and that would be, when you talk, when we be talking about Herm Edwards? Well, and, and I mean a little bit, but also he was, he's still what I'm talking about because he did rise up through the ranks. But like, I guess what I'm thinking about is so many of these people make these military analogies for football, right? All these like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like a war out there and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but in a war, you don't like just promote privates to general over a period of time. Like, you have officer candidate school. You have, you know, guys coming out of West Point who are just immediately in leadership positions because it's a different damn job. It just is. Um, right. So I, I'm just going to say I think Arizona State, even though we all kind of laugh, because Herm Edwards is – I think we laughed more at that it was Herm Edwards because he's a TV personality. He's kind of a big personality. So that led us to laugh at – and I'm not laughing at Herm. Everyone I know says they like him and respect him. But just because of his personality plugging in to being the head coach at ASU, and, and then it, it, we extrapolated on literally what they were trying to do and thought, well, that's kind of a crazy theory. But if you take out his personality, that made it a little bit funny. What we're kind of saying is, and I, I'm starting to look at it, that I think it's a good philosophy for college, for the way you structure a college football staff, not basketball staff. If you go to any any basketball practice, college basketball practice, the head coach is doing 90% of the coaching. The technical aspects, literally, you know, yeah. Ben Howland would make right here. This is where your feet go, right here, right here. I mean, it'd be... Pointing at the spot on the on the floor. Yeah, and I mean, with, with a smaller roster size, it makes sense. Like that's fine. Right. So, but I think it might. I think it ASU might have gotten it right. Well, and I've often thought about recruiting because you're talking about like assistant coaches. They all need, or they mostly need to have a recruiting skill set, and maybe there is a different way of doing that too. Because some guys just don't, but they might be a great technician, right? Especially, I mean, I can think of some offensive line coaches over the years who for sure fit that mold. Well, if that's the case, I I know we've seen guys who've just been good recruiters who can recruit even out of their position group. We've seen it in a lot of different, I mean, Angus McClure was good at doing that. Demetrius Martin was good at doing that when he was motivated to do it. Um, If you assigned roles a little bit differently. Um, where, okay, we've got our two or three, just these are our designated lead recruiters. These are the guys who are going to be hitting people up because they're good at it, they're motivated about it, like all that kind of stuff. These are going to be our assigned technicians, and they're going to even help I think out they with these other position that. groups. I think staffs attempt that, but there's there's a dynamic among college staffs when you have you know nine, ten guys. And... 
someone's a linebacker coach and he's a good technician, but he's not necessarily a good recruiter. Uh, it, it there's there's a stigma to him that he that he probably doesn't want to realize that he's not a great recruiter and someone's compensating for him and then it also translates to how much money he makes so there's a weird dynamic i've i've seen it on ucla staff over the years where there are staffs that had strong recruiters and other ones who didn't and the strong recruiters would try to compensate for the weak recruiters and it was it was tough. It would be like you were stepping on their toes. You wanted to help. That's why a lot of times they, they do the positional recruiting, but they also do regional. So there are two guys. This was the theory under Angus, Angus McClure, and a lot, you know, it's not revolutionary. A lot of staffs do it. You basically have two guys assigned to every recruit. So that among those two guys, you're thinking at least one of them is a good recruiter, hopefully. Um, and that kind of has helped, but... It's a tough dynamic there in a room of uh, college coaches, uh, football coaches. So, yeah, I mean, in theory, what we're coming up with here in our little vacuum might work. But in application, when you have real human beings with egos, it, it might not. Yeah, I mean, it would be a it would be a tough thing. I would just and I think um, ASU is thinking outside the box a little bit. It would be interesting to see if more staffs kind of thought about it a little bit differently instead of all the group think. But yeah, I mean, it would be tough. That'd be very tough to, to figure and, that whole thing And we've out. seen a lot of recruits who literally have said, I love Herm Edwards. My parents loved him when he was in yeah. the, I mean, Herm Edwards, I'd really love to know the dynamic of how much he actually coaches, but how much he is really utilized as that living room recruiter is going to come in and wow the kids and wow the parents talk about family and dedication and molding your child and how much that works. Yeah. I yeah. want Herm Edwards to come into our house and talk. I get it. That'd be fun. That'd be a fun time. All right. Should we talk some hoops? Yeah. Do hoops. Go. Okay. Um, so basketball, uh, in light of the novel coronavirus, um, has also closed its doors for the season. Uh, Pac-12 tournament was canceled yesterday. Um, they'd initially planned to have games in front of no fans, and then they decided on nobody. Uh, then uh, the NCAA tournament was canceled, so basketball season is effectively over. Um, I don't know if they've officially canceled completely everything forever, um, but... Nope. The reality no is they're madness. not coming back. No May Madness, you think? Nah, no chance. I, I, I don't think so. I think the, the logistics of the schedule are just going to make it impossible. Um, the NBA can come back because two months from now, whatever. It doesn't matter if that extends into July. Um, but for the NCAA... And all those arenas are just sitting there. The NBA arenas are just sitting there waiting for their NBA teams. Right. And for NCAA with all the scheduling and contracts and all that kind of stuff, I just... I just don't see it being played because it wouldn't be played with the same players. Um, you're going to have guys declaring for the NBA draft soon. Um, you're going to have all that those dominoes falling. And then, so what are you going to have? Duke go into the tournament with like five players? No, that's not going to happen. So That'd be fun. That'd, that'd be, be kind of cool. funny, play but no, it's, it's not going to happen. So I think that's it for basketball season. Um, ended on a, a little bit of yeah. a low note, but it ended... Yeah. Still, with UCLA on a tremendous hot streak, even with the last-minute loss to USC. So, um, still positive ramifications coming out of the year, but unfortunate, um, you know, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, not even significant whatsoever, but unfortunate we don't get to watch them play a little bit more. Yeah, I don't even think it came... Yeah, that, that game was disappointing that they lost that on that last-second shot, but... I mean, that was a great second I had half a run. Fun, I had such a fun time watching that game. Even with them losing, I was like, God damn, so that much. was fun. Exactly. And and uh, even though that game was a loss, the team still played well oh, like, enough that it, it's watchable. It was a macro win. Like, that was not, yeah. like, whatever. Okay, the result was they lost. But play being able to play a game like that where they shot, like, if I tried to shoot against USC's defense— and still came within two points of winning. Come on. And, and your takeaway from the season is it's 
a lot of times you come away with the last performance is kind of leaves a taste, but I don't think so at all. My takeaway is Mick Cronin, coach of the year, team had a massive turnaround, got a lot better, and that's what he sells going into recruiting offseason. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to see them play more, but I think what we wanted out of this first season is exactly what we're getting as that takeaway. Yeah, Nick we Cronin got Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Hello. I think I told you I went back and read our season preview, and it was like everything that we were like, okay, this season's not going to be about results. It's going to be about do we see growth? Do we see all these different things? And it it basically checked every single box this season. Um, we saw all the things we needed to see. We saw growth at the like individual personal level. Um, I think anybody who was getting significant minutes at the end of the year, which was like seven or eight guys. Each of them got better over the course of the year, um, with the possible exception of Jules Bernard. But even then, I think his commitment, his defensive energy, all that stuff was better over the last month or two than it was at the beginning stages of the season. Um, but everyone, literally everyone else, got better. Cody Riley went from virtually unplayable at the beginning of January to maybe one of the two or three most important guys on the team at the end of the year. Uh, David Singleton went from playing 10 minutes a game to playing 30 because McCronin started to recognize, you know, the different kind of intangible values he brings to the court and also the fact that he, you know, who he replaces. Um, but basically everybody else. I mean, Tiger Campbell hit a big midseason lull, and then he was one of the best players of the final three games. Um, Chris Smith was the most improved player in the Pac-12. Um, all this individual development, and then on top of that, the team got better. You know, we saw all these guys develop their skills, but also they developed all those you know, assets that you need, the toughness, the grit, the determination, all that kind of stuff that drastically improves team outcomes. Um, Because it's not just that they were making better shots or whatever. They weren't losing their dribbles as much. They were, you know, picking each other up, um, buckling down on defense when things got hard instead of just trying to make wild shots. Like how many times in the Alford era did you see them try to respond to another team's run by then just taking a bunch of quick threes and hoping they would hit? This team over the final month and a half of the season, when things got hard, they just ratcheted up the defensive intensity. Um, and that's what you yeah, want to see. Yeah. It's almost it's almost a little crazy, but, I mean, I think you and I and a lot of the people on our side have an advantage because, I mean, we're watching this really closely. We overanalyze it. We know every player. We know the dynamics of the team. But what we wanted to see happen this year in so many ways from – a team standpoint from an individual standpoint kind of happened. I mean, we were thinking we'd like to see David Singleton play over Prince Ali. It took, I don't know, 15 games, but yep. it happened. And a lot, there are so many times, how many times in our history of watching football, you football and basketball that we bring our knowledge to the preseason and we go, God, we'd really like to see this happen. And it just doesn't. In fact, it might go completely the other way, um, and you, we say, what are the what are, what are those coaches thinking? This was kind of crazy how well this happened, and not only what we asserted we'd like to see, but then it not only happened, but I mean, it happened really positively. Like, okay, David Singleton played for Prince Ali, that could have fallen flat, but obviously that had an, a big impact on the team. So. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was a pretty amazing season. And what you would want as your takeaway uh, from Mick Cronin's standpoint, fan standpoint, is that Mick Cronin is walking away from this season, if he is as of right now, uh, may, making a big impact as a coach, making a big uh, showing that he can really coach up players and and his his system wins. Um, that he's a great fit at UCLA and that the uh, program is going in a very positive direction. That's what we all wanted, whether this has been a shortened season or not, and that's what we have. So really a great result regardless. Yep. What do, you, what, do you think, what do you think of Chris Smith right now? What do you, where is his situation? You think? So we both are, are thinking he's going to – we're both thinking he's going to declare. Now – 
I'm looking at it, and I think he needed a really good tournament to make his standing, to, to give him a chance at the first round. Right now, I, I still don't see any credible mock drafts where he's anything outside of the second round. Um, and right. honestly, it's hard to find him even in the second round in a lot of mock drafts. Um, I found that one. That's all I found. Yeah. So I, I think he needed a big tournament to get that kind of guaranteed money and all that kind of stuff. I know the reality for the NBA has changed where a lot of guys with second round and undrafted do end up making some immediate money. Um, they do end up yep. getting on a roster somewhere or playing in Europe or whatever. And, you know, that can be a good option for people i just look at chris smith and the strides he's made every single year in his career um virtually unplayable his first year then better his second year now one of the top players in the pack 12 his third year next year if he decided to come back and stick around and do the whole thing he'd have you know pack 12 player of the year that's potential um being a, a all-american that's potential like all these things are on the table for him based on his rise each year. Like this year he was truly one of the top players in the league and last year he was nowhere close to that. So he's got a lot of ability. Um he's developed as a shooter over time. He's now like a 35% shooter from 3. It's not hard to see that turning into 38 or 40% next year. Um he's an 85% shooter from the stripe. Um all this kind of stuff there's room for him to grow in college and turn himself into a mid first rounder next year. Um, so I don't know. I hope his team and, and he are, are thinking about that um, patiently. Um, but you, you can't fault any of these kids for making personal decisions. And I think he's going to be playable at the next level. It's just, he still has a lot of room to get better. Um, and I think clearly Cronin had a very good effect on him. Um, and I think another year under him might potentially even do more. Um, but I, I'm, I will not be surprised if, if there's, there's no Christmas next year. I would be, I would be surprised if there is a Christmas. Yeah. Um, it's just, uh, I always try to impart it and it's, it's even hard for me to get my mind around it sometimes. And I, you know, I know how it can be, but, and for fans like on our forum, they like what you just laid out makes a lot of sense. But trying to explain to them what the situation is for a lot of these kids and their mindset and how they grew up and everyone around them telling them they're the best thing ever since they were 12 years old and their inflated idea of themselves, their parents' inflated idea of themselves, they, they don't go with with logic or percentages. They and they just rely more on that sense that I can do it <laughs> yeah. regardless of the odds against them. I can do it. So yeah. uh, there, it's just a, it's a different, it's a different world. And I mean, I think everyone can relate who has, has raised kids and they played sports. There were the delusional parents on your kid's soccer team, Right or their baseball team, and you would just shake your head and go, oh, oh my gosh, how can they think that kid's going to be a professional baseball player? That's how this is. I mean, there isn't anyone around them really giving them a dose of reality. So they're living in this really kind of false world. Um, given all of that, I just think he's going he's gonna to go. I think this is – this is – something that I don't think we ever really determined whether he put his name in last year. I I'm hearing that he did, but we never reported he did and no one reported he did, but actually it kind of doesn't even matter because they, they passed that new rule. What two years ago that you can put your, you, you can put, didn't they Dave, where you could put your name in a couple of times and take it out. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's as many times as you want now, as long as you bring your name out before the deadline. Um, so it's no longer the one test the waters and get out. So here's what I would say. Chris Smith should absolutely put his name in, get evaluated. Well, I pronounced that weirdly. Whatever. Try that again. I, I don't know if I could pronounce it weirdly again. Evaluated? No, I want to hear I that weird. I said evaluated. Evaluated. Wow. I like it. That's what really cool. <laughs> I like it. I like this way better, like aluminum. <laughs> yeah. Better. No, did I go British for a second? Yeah. Okay, evaluated. cool. Well, he should yeah. go get evaluated. 
Um, I can't do it. I, honestly, the now first time was smooth. Evaluated. Evaluated. I can do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Anyway, um, he should get that. He should get that thing that I can't say. Um, <laughs> and then see what it says. You know, if it's everyone says, oh, wow, you're actually a first rounder and the whole thing and, and you should come out, then go. By all means, so go. Go to, the, I mean, go to the workouts. Yeah, do the right. whole thing. Get an agent, whatever. At that point, you're 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 good to go. But if it is, you know, hey, man, we still need to see a lot of stuff from you. We like this. We like this. We like this. Um, but you're you're probably not on our top, you know, 10 guys or whatever. Then you can say, oh, OK, well, then it's time for me to go back. But um, I don't know. Uh, my feeling is that he's pretty committed to leaving. But we'll see. We will see. Yeah. Where where a lot of it hinges on from what I've understood. So you have your. You have your your family and your support system, your friends, your AU coach, and they're all in love with you and think you're literally the next LeBron James. Then you have the evaluation you'll get from the NBA, which is not it's not going to BS you. It's going to give it to you straight. Then you have your college coach who's probably giving it to you straight. So you got those two sides. You want to believe your your parents and you think maybe your college coach has an agenda, the NBA, they might be saying, well, they just don't, I've always, I've always had people who said I couldn't do it and they might not just be seeing my ability where it, the tipping point is that are all those pseudo agents and runners and in the middle who are telling them how good they are and how many millions of dollars they're going to make. That's what always tips it over. So it will be interesting. It happens every time. I, I can say one thing, though. Chris Smith is a little bit different. He's a, he's a decent student uh, who isn't – you know, a lot of players who do go early, like Moses Brown, were struggling in school and just wanted – didn't want to go to class. Right. And that was a big motivating factor. I think he's comfortable in school. I, all of – every one of them doesn't want to go to school. Heck. I mean, we all wouldn't want to go to school, right? But actually, that's wrong. I'm saying that I was purely Van Wilder. I got one of those letters from UCLA that said, you are fast approaching too many credits and you have to leave. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, um, I went five years and I had to, to justify my fifth year, I had to add a minor, which I didn't complete. Um, but I had to like go to the history department. I had to go to the poli sci department. So I'm like, oh, I really want to be a poli sci minor. And they're like, but you haven't taken any poli sci classes. And I'm like, yeah, but I really want to do it. Um, and then I took one more poli sci class and then just farted around for my fifth year and then left. I think I remember that. I yeah. think I remember talking where you telling me about the whole scam of you wanting to go another year. Yeah. Um, so there is that about Chris Smith, but I still think that whole that all those people in there are telling him, you know, the pseudo agents are telling him how much money he's going to make and how great he is. That that's always the that's just too powerful. Yeah, yeah. But, but if that's... We, we've got off season recruiting to looking for looking forward to. Which... Well, and I would also say, um, just for everyone out there, Chris Smith. If you add him back to the roster next year, it'd be great. Like it would be awesome. Keep the continuity together. All these guys have bought in the whole thing. And they'll be really good next year. If Chris Smith's not on the roster next year, guess what? Everyone's still bought in. They've got a lot of guys coming back who are awesome. And it's going to be really good next year. Um, he's not the make-or-break guy. The make-or-break guys are all these dudes. Because they've all kind of bought in at their own levels. But if if Jaime Jaquez was making a bad decision, that would be a critical one. That would be like, That's Ooh. the guy I want to see next year. Yeah, that's God, the one where just... I'd be a little bit worried because he has obviously set the tone for the team. Um, and obviously, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, but that's the one where I'd be, oh, that's not good. Chris Smith, he's your scorer, yeah. so that's going to be something to replace. But these guys are going to get better at that. Chris Smith got better at that. There's going to be some natural progression. And then, yeah, they're going to need to probably add some scoring. Um, but defensively, I don't see Chris Smith's departure, if that ends up happening, upsetting the apple cart. They're going to be really good defensively next year. They're going to be bought in. All the stuff that we've liked that we've seen in the last couple of months, that's going to be ongoing. If you've noticed, in the last month, 
Chris Smith actually hasn't been playing that well, and they've been fine. Um, yeah. So I I don't think this is a huge one. Now, if 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 somebody else makes a silly decision, like, and I think any any decision besides Smith's at this point would probably be silly. Like, it's probably somebody making a decision where you would say, "Ooh, that's not great." But if a Jalen Hill decided to try to test the waters or Cody Riley or whoever, if they did, then you'd be like, ah, that's not so great. That's going to be trouble. I think what we might have eliminated here, there were there were options for, let's say, Jalen Hill or Cody Riley, that they stayed at UCLA, they went pro early, or they transferred. I think we might have eliminated with how this season ended up and how they obviously all got better he might have eliminated that option of transferring. Hopefully. Yeah, I would Hopefully. think so because the only one I would be like not to and this isn't based on information, it's just based on watching the games. The only person on the team who I think would still be in danger of transfer would be Jules Bernard because his role right. still didn't get fully defined at the end of the year. Like it was still a question of whether he would get 2 minutes in a game or 15, right? And I'm telling you, I if I'm the staff, I could sell him. Oh, David yeah. Singleton. David Singleton was a good guy to make this transition, but and I'm a David Singleton fan. But David Singleton is a little bit limited in size, athleticism, scoring ability. Jules Bernard, while he makes some bad decisions with the ball in his hand, has a lot more upside, and he's a good defender. So you could sell him like. You keep putting in work in the offseason. You're gonna you're gonna start at shooting guard next year. You're gonna be the guy. Well, particularly if especially Smith is gone. yeah, if Smith is gone. Yeah. So let's say, what do they need in the offseason? Uh, ideally, what I would like is somewhere some uh, a post player, like a 2020 post player, um, that they keep everyone and even Chris Smith goes pro, but a 2020 post player drops in their lap. A top 75 guy because they they're going to need post players i mean it's it's going to be thin soon uh and um and then if you're a grad transfer scorer either anything anything from a shooting guard to a face-up four to anything and you're looking at this team chris smith goes pro you're saying Wow, they need someone to score, and I scored 18 points a game last year in the Sun Belt League, and I can put and I shoot 44 percent from three. This is the team I'll fit in. You could see that as a really good fit. Well, and one thing I could see starting to happen: so a guy who prioritizes defense as a head coach for grad transfers who are still trying to make the NBA, right? Especially oh, guys point. who have some scoring background, they're going to look at that and say, "Oh yeah, I want somebody who's going to shore up." that part of my game and I'll provide some points for them. Like that's because those guys are making more mature decisions at that stage in their lives than they were at 17. So they look at it and say, okay, well I've, I've scored 18 points a game and my, my stock has not risen. So let me go there. I'll learn to play some defense and still throw in 16 or 17 a game. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Two ideal. That would be ideal scenario. And I can't tell you, I mean, they are going to be after post players, not only this spring, but with the 2021 class, they need post players. I they mean, desperately do. And I think there are more. Look at, yeah. Yeah. They'll look at what I was happened saying, there with are Cody more Riley. Wings on this team. There are more wings on this team than at wing stop here. I mean, <laughs> 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 I've been, I've been storing that one. Yeah, out. that was good. Um, yeah, but you look at the way Cody Riley improved and you look at the way Jalen Hill improved as a player um, this year. i, I got to imagine it's going to start looking attractive to posts because um, it's like that early Howland period where guys just got better every single year. The post players just got better every year. Um, you know, Ryan Hollins became so playable by his final year. Um, Lorenzo Mata got better every single year, and I think it made it more attractive. Um I think that's the same thing that's kind of going on with Cronin. And clearly, unlike Alford, they prioritize getting the ball inside. Um, like, imagine Thomas Welsh with this offense. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, there's some... And, pl- and playing time. You've got to look that, yeah, Jaylen, even if Jalen Hill and Cody Riley return, are they both going to be there for their redshirt senior year in 2021? 
Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, I, I can't see it. I would imagine it. Hill's Hill's gonna have some NBA upside. Like if he if he can put together one more good year, um, and and that means even increasing his output a little bit more. But the way he draws fouls, the way he shoots from the foul line, his athleticism, his ability to defend, he's gonna find a spot. Um, so well, I even think- Cody Riley, he graduates. He'll graduate, you know, after next season. Yeah, conservatively. Uh, is he going to come back in 2021 as a redshirt s- senior grad and go to grad school at UCLA? Or is he, you know, just going to say, okay, I'm done with my college thing. I probably won't get drafted, but I'm going to go play in Greece and make $150,000 a year or something. Maybe. I mean, I can't see either of them here as their redshirt, as redshirt seniors. Yeah, it would be that would be probably unusual for for UCLA in particular. Um, at some random Midwestern school, maybe, but UCLA, you and just my, get so much hype up your butt. Yeah. <laughs> and my point was, you can sell playing time for a young post. Come in for a year, learn how to play, and you were probably starting in twenty twenty one. Yeah, and I'm uh, the last month has really made me more excited about Kenneth Nwuba, um and whether he can play because looking at I've the heard develop- he can. yeah and looking at the I've development from well and we hear that about a lot of guys but looking at the development proof is in the pudding the fact that cody riley has become not just playable but very good over the last month and jalen hill has progressed as a player all year yeah yeah sign me up and for a shout out, out of that to, bench shout out to assistant coach darren savino because he's he's the the bigs coach um, he's the guy who is directly responsible for the improvement of Cody Riley and Jalen Hill, other than the players themselves. I mean, he's the one who's teaching them how to play in the post. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was one time this season, I think, when I think Cody got blocked or something, and, <laughs> and Mick turned to Coach Savino and said, would you please teach him how to pump fake? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> that was pretty fun. That's but great. yeah, a lot of credit out to Darren Savino for this development yeah. of those post players. For sure. All right. You I got anything else, Tracy? It all no, I think we're done. Okay. Well, stay safe out there, everyone. Self-quarantine. Do your thing. Um, and we'll hopefully be through this very quickly. And we're going to be pumping out a lot of content. So all those people on the forums are saying, what are we going to talk about? What is there... We'll give you plenty, so just just stay on board here, guys. We'll make it worth your while. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys want to start a book club? What do you want to do? Let's do it. <laughs> the hell? We got time on our hands. Bro, bro, book club. That would be really fun. That would be a great time. Really great time. All right, okay, everybody. Then. Well, for uh, for Tracy Pearson over there, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24/7 Sports Network, and we'll talk to you again next time. We'll see y'all.